0: Hello, and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are very much brilliant. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly and let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom, and with me as always is... Donna Sorenson. Is Hello. it a bit weird that we say our own names? It feels odd saying my own name.
1: How would we otherwise do it? You say, I'm with Donna Sorenson, and then you don't say your own name, and then it would be a bit weird for me to try to come in and say, and you're Ian Broom.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there is an easy answer to this whole starting the show business. We've been doing this quite a long time now, and uh, I'm still not sure.
1: Maybe we need a song.
0: Well, there's only one person I'd go to if I needed a song.
1: La la la. Yes, I'm ready. All right, after we're recording today, I think we should get composing. Oh, what have you been up to this week, Ian?
0: I made a couple of YouTube videos.
1: Oh, that sounds productive.
0: It was relatively productive. I've made a number of videos, but in terms of sort of um writing blog, podcast related, I um, you know, I I we had sana on the show a couple of weeks ago when you were away um on uh, on holiday. And it, as you know, just I just uh, I think there's something in it. I think that there's there's something in that way of doing it. You think
1: it. YouTube might take off?
0: I think that YouTube might get popular at some popular at some point. <laughs> um, you know, I really enjoyed making those videos that I made last year, and I kind of thought, and I've and I've wanted to start doing them again anyway. And I kind of thought to myself, is it going to be quicker? how long would it take me to do a YouTube video now? Because as I've said, I, for the last two or three months, I've been doing video editing for a living, which is kind of crazy, but definitely true. And, um, and so I thought, well, I should know what I'm doing a bit better now. How long will it take me to actually r- sort of put together an idea and sort of a rough guide of what I'm going to say and then record and then edit a YouTube video? And um, so I, I did one last week. And I did one as well today, and um, uh, the one last week took a little bit longer because I'd forgotten how to do certain things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, today, I that the entire video, which took which lasts for three minutes and something forty odd seconds, took less than an hour. It's probably an hour max to do the whole thing, and um, and so I think that's probably at least the amount of time, probably less the time than it would take me to write a proper full on blog post that has perhaps the same amount of information interestingly i did a transcript of the first one so the first one was called i'll put links to this in the show notes where can we find the show notes
1: you can find the show notes at five by five dot tv slash w f y l slash one three two
0: and there you'll find links to all the different things that we talk about including this so the first one was um, um uh, creative writing courses and professionalism so i it was my response to the nobel nobel uh, Prize for Literature panel member. Chappie. Chappie yeah. Fellow. Um, and
1: Saying uh, that it was ruining good literature. Creative uh, yeah. writing course industry.
0: The, yeah, the creative writing courses were affecting the entirety of Western literature and that we should, oh. all, we should all get proper jobs so that we had some sort of life experience. That was the gist did of we, it.
1: Did we talk about it last week?
0: I don't know if we did talk we, about we it. We
1: were going to, but now I'm suddenly wondering whether we did. Anyway, we'll, I, well carry on. Come
0: I know on. I did a YouTube video for it.
1: Well, hey, well, there you go, so we yeah,
0: in and and I don't know if it's interesting or not, but i I decided to do a transcript because one of the things that I have learnt how to do in the last few months is to quickly write transcripts for um for videos, which is obviously fantastic for people who who are you know partially sighted who might want to know what's being said but can't quite hear it properly and also some people just would rather read than watch the video so i did that just out of curiosity really and that video was a bit longer it was probably i can't quite remember it's probably almost five minutes but it came out as roughly 1500 words which is a pretty long blog post Mm, um the one that i recorded today was about um it's called do you need a literary agent so, just some thoughts on on that from me. I've been asked that question by email by a couple of people and in person a couple of times recently. So I thought people seem to be interested. It's kind of changed, hasn't it? The way they kind of said it. Like I could say in the video, it's I. It didn't really used to be a question. Do I need a literary agent? It's like if you want to be published, then yes, you do. But um, things are a bit more fluid, a bit not quite as um, nailed on as they once were. So that's what that video is about. So I've been doing that and it's taken a relatively short amount of time. And in in my head, I'm thinking if I can do one a week and maybe write the old blog post along the way to keep the podcast going, then that will be a kind of sustainable way of increasing my kind of output to the world in terms of, you know, the old writing and publishing blogging business.
1: Absolutely. And But when you said it took you an hour, I, I still thought, Oof, yeah, that's quite a long time, really, considering that my last uh, YouTube video took um, approximately five minutes. The- <laughs>
0: and it's way, <laughs> more popu- <laughs> way more popular than mine are going to be.
1: Well, yeah, putting my trousers on without my hands, which took me three and a half minutes and then uh, about half minute and a half to get to the computer and upload it.
0: <laughs> is that still on the internet? Or did you take it down because of the It is purpose? still on
1: the interweb, yeah. yeah. Okay. Should we put that in the show notes?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, why not? <laughs>
1: um, but, I mean, it is...
0: What, what are your chances of doing that now? Now you're a sort of a 12 to 15 weeks program or whatever you want.
1: <laughs> well, I, ooh, I, you know, I don't like to think about what kind of niche we'd hit there on the internet if, um, <laughs> oh, if I actually did that. I just think, well, no thanks. Um, I could probably do it.
0: Well, you know, you I, am, can, I
1: am still mobile. You know, I'm cycling around all the time.
0: I know you're a very and a, a very impressive pregnant cyclist.
1: Thank you so much. Um, you know, got to do it as long as I can. Cycling. A Complete tangent as usual. I'm sorry. Sorry, I brought my leggings and my trousers and all that nonsense into it. But what you were saying was was uh, was very interesting. And you're going to put those two videos in the show notes. And you're going to do a video a week.
0: Uh, i'm going to try and do a video a video a week i think that's fine i've got about 600 followers because of the on my shelf phenomenon which i talked about um when i was on the when uh when sauna when i was on my own show with sauna um huh. and so i have got like there are people there but google has very strange algorithms so even though i've got five or i don't know about 550 subscribers that's the right phrase for uh, youtube um which is, you know, that's quite nice. But I know for a fact that not all of those people are seeing it in their feeds because I've not been posting on a regular basis and Google picks and chooses. There was a big uproar in the YouTube community, which I know all about, um, when they changed their algorithms for for what they presented to people. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is totally inside baseball. <laughs> that's a phrase.
1: Inside baseball is in doing baseball indoors. That's another way to look at what you just said there, isn't it?
0: Well, it was kind of another take on um, seeing... Oh, I forgot on the Sausage Factory phrase again.
1: Oh, yes! Watch, yes. Watching what?
0: how the meat is squashed.
1: Seeing how the sausage is made. Yeah, you keep talking. I want to find that because that that was that's a great expression, which how, we should definitely bring into the podcast
0: more how often. To, when you see how to skin a sausage.
1: See how the sausage gets made. That's it. And, um, and uh, one of our listeners wrote to say that they'd actually seen it and they did not like what they saw
0: no i think um if you are a meat eater um there are two ways that you can go it's you can kind of three ways really this this is a tangent there are three ways you can go (laughs) let's
1: (laughs) talk about sausages carry on
0: let's talk about the kind of the effects of meat production on the (laughs) on the planet's ecosystem and uh, and animal welfare should we should we just should we avoid that
1: we can do, but we could tie in there. Oh, no, actually, you're not finished, are you, with what you've been doing? Because I thought that quite nicely tied in with um, the new Booker Prize winner.
0: I think we should just move on to the new Booker Prize winner.
1: <laughs> Who says he's absolutely ashamed to be Australian because of um, their environmental policy. I was thinking that that kind of was slightly related.
0: Sort of related. It's related enough to get us off that topic that I was about yes. to... Uh... I've
1: saved us. I've rescued us. Um Yes, Richard Flanagan. Congratulations to Richard Flanagan. £50,000 better off today or yesterday, was it, that they announced it? Um,
0: um, yesterday or the day before, I can't quite remember. So, yeah, Richard Flanagan has just won the Booker Prize for his novel, uh, which is called The Narrow Road to the Deep North. Um, I, I believe uh, it's only fair and right that I ask you, have you read it?
1: Well, um, And it's only fair and right that I answer truthfully no, but I can say that this one I actually am going to buy and read. I I really like the sound of it.
0: Yeah, it sounds. I've not read it either. It sounds like a really interesting book. As always happens, um, I read one of the books that didn't win. Um,
1: Which one was that?
0: It was the book called Something Different. The title of that book was different to the title of the one that won it. The title of the book...
1: (laughs) You haven't read anything, you liar.
0: No, I have. I just can't quite... I well, can't remember the name, which Was is... it
1: Ali um, Smith's
0: book? No, but I really like Ali Smith, and I do plan oh, on reading that. Um, it was the one...
1: <laughs> cool, you are just flapping around there. Um, yeah,
0: I can't remember. I'm going to have to... I'll let you know in a bit.
1: Yeah, but I, I, when I say I'm going to read this, I'm not going to read this in the way that I'm going to read The Luminaries, which won last year, as in I'm not sure really that I'm going to read it, but I said I would like to. This one, I... I, I, I put it high up on my list now um and i but you know what the feeling i had when the booker prize came around this time it was like groundhog day i thought hang on haven't we just done the booker prize don't you just get that feeling that it's always booker prize time i think they're just dragging out the long listing and the short listing or something i don't know but it just it was i thought that was very um bizarre unless it's just because we would you know we've done so many podcasts now that it's it just seems like yesterday we were talking about the luminaries
0: well, it, uh, yeah, well, it was. We have been doing this for a year. We had a few months off, obviously, but we, uh, 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 yeah, we did talk about it last year. That's probably that's probably what you're thinking about. We also talked about the cost of prize as well, and we often talk about these things.
1: And prizes and and, and how it just adds books to our list of books that we're not actually going to read. Um, it was quite interesting with this guy that he, when you first read about him, he sounded like he was, you know, desperately in need of the, the prize money, which he said he was going to use for life. Um, because it had taken him twelve years to write it.
0: Yeah, by which by which you mean he said he was just going to use it to live. Like, this to he live. He said it would yeah. uh, something along the lines of the, the prize I money mean, would allow him to um, keep writing, you know, as a full time thing.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, but then I didn't realise that he's already he has six novels out. So it's, it's I mean he's done this a lot, but well, it, so it just took a long time to write this one.
0: It's, it's, there's another there's another bit that you've not mentioned. He was but also. About his Pardon?
1: About his father.
0: No, no. I was he, um, he. He has a few novels out, but he 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 was also the person. He was the writer of the what I think is generally accepted to be a bit of a dud Baz Luhrmann film, Australia.
1: Ah, you see, I I, I read that he was the screen. He'd done some screenwriting work for Baz Luhrmann. Oh yeah, Australia. I had a laugh out loud moment in Australia. I will always keep that with me. I don't often have laugh out loud moments. That are intentional. It wasn't at Australia. It was with Australia. Um, I know. I know. It was. I think Baz Luhrmann's films are—they're a bit tricky. People either love them or hate them. And
0: have you? Sorry. Have you? Uh, I'm, I'm totally confused. Have you seen the film? Aust- are you talking about the film Australia, or are you talking about you had a laugh out loud moment, loud moment when you were actually in Australia, which you were what last year? What do you year?
1: think? Honestly, of course, I'm talking about the film Australia.
0: Well, for most of sure. for most of when you were talking, then I was thinking when you were actually in Australia as a person in real life.
1: I should just mention then last uh, summer I spent a month in Australia. That was quite exciting. Did
0: you have any laugh out loud moments?
1: Loads, but not because I saw a kangaroo, because I would have laughed out loud if I'd seen one of those, but I didn't see a kangaroo and I was really upset about that. Um, But I saw bandicoots and um, other strange animals, which was very exciting and they were quite funny. Um, And bizarrely, I stayed in a little house overlooking the house that Baz Luhrmann used to film The Great Gatsby. It was Gatsby's mansion. It's actually in Manly in Australia. Wow. Uh, so that's a little, just tying them in there. Um, but what I was going to say about his dad was that, it's, I mean, it took him 12 years to write this book because he was writing it for his father. It's, it was, yeah. you know, his father's experience um, of the... of. You know, being forced to build the railways through Burma during the war, World War II. And he, you know, I mean, that's talking about deadlines, wanting to get something finished so that your father will see it before he passes on. I mean, that's, we talk about needing deadlines. I mean, that is a lot of pressure. And that is something which, I mean, if you didn't finish it, that would just be awful, wouldn't it, in time? He did it. Indeed. His father didn't see it published, though. Oh, Really? Mm, but he's he he i think he saw the whole book though um so yeah so i'm, I'm really interested in it. it sounds it sounds like it's come from a really personal place and and that it's you know sounds interesting
0: i had a not entirely similar but slightly similar experience i wasn't my my auntie didn't quite get to see me uh become a published author which was a bit of a shame she um uh the opposite in terms of actually I w- I wasn't writing it for her in any way whatsoever the opposite was the case I was absolutely terrified she's very religious she was a very very religious person mm. um lovely fun loving but you know religious uh the two can get together <laughs> and um and uh I was I was always petrified that she would she was what she was going to think of this book that you know her her wonderful nephew who she'd sort of seen and helped br- uh, grow up and stuff um, is going to write this book that you know it's not like the books full of horrible dirty filth but it's um, you know it's got it's got its moments and yeah. um, so I was I was always worried about that and then um yeah I needn't have been which is a bit of a shame
1: Oh yeah it is Well I I needn't ever be worried about what my extended family will think about my poetry collection because I mean the chances are that they're going to buy it and read it are pretty slim I would say (laughs) but I tell you what's really nice this week on Twitter I I think that this is a better tweet to get in some ways than a tweet to say hey your poetry collection has just been nominated for a prize I mean I say that that would obviously be nice but um just yeah randomly someone tweeted me to say that they really uh love my poetry collection you know somebody I didn't know somebody who's just bought it on their off their own volition
0: that's uh, quite quite interesting because we're going to have a conversation um uh, in a second about how your mum also had a an email conversation with us that we're going to talk about Is that right? yeah yeah
1: yes we are but uh, I think it's a nice thing to get isn't it just Do you, mi- you missed mood. that didn't
0: you you missed me being incredibly unkind to you why I was trying to suggest that your mum was the person who sent you that to me <laughs>
1: I thought you were just trying to link us into the next thing already. I am thinking, hang on, hang on, I'm not finished. Um, <sighs> I am finished anyway. That's fine. Yeah, no, my mum was not the person. Believe me, my mum is my biggest, well, no, actually, she's not my biggest uh, fan. My dad, I think, is probably my biggest, well, they probably compete. And my mum listens to this podcast. So hello, mum. I love you. You are the best mum ever. Um, so yeah, of course. I mean, she emails me a lot saying, your poetry is amazing. So I, I'm very happy for that. Um, this was not someone I'd paid or had brought me into the world.
0: <laughs> good, yes. and it is good. It is a very nice feeling, and um, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit later on about how to perform fiction, which is a very difficult thing and different to performing poetry or or, or songs or that kind of thing. Um, and um I read some of, I read some of my second novel. I read some out in public and um, and I had some nice feedback, and it is nice to it is, it is really you do need nice feedback. it's why it's important to get out there and actually um, and and not keep all this writing. whether you want to get it published or not it's important to get some feedback of some kind to keep mm-hmm. you moving:
1: absolutely um so. Well done to Richard Flanagan. I think we've um, we've we've talked all we can about the Booker Prize. As usual, we just kind of let everybody know what they already know, who's won it, and that's about it, really.
0: Yep, nothing to add.
1: No, nothing useful whatsoever from our mouths. Next, Shall useless we? topic. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
0: well, let's talk about um, as I've just I just mentioned it in a very unnecessarily unkind way. Um, uh, we had a, an email conversation just yesterday. Me, you. And uh, and your mum, and and who is also my mother-in-law, and uh, and crucially in this is also a very widely published children's author, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I won't go into detail because you know. I go to some detail, but not an awful lot. But basically, it was about Amazon. So um, she'd sent us both this email, and she was asking us a question about what we thought about a specific piece of text that she'd copied into us uh, from somewhere else. And it was just a general conversation about Amazon that we'd had. And I, you know, we talk about Amazon a fair bit on on, the, on this podcast, and we've definitely talked about the recent, you know, Amazon Hachette thing a little bit without being fully informed on you know all the details, which I think is our general approach to things um but i found i found myself is it fair to say that i was I, I ended up in just what was one medium size and one short email um sort of defending amazon
1: is that absolutely right? i felt like our our responses to my my mum's text so she pasted in this this very negative or a piece that was saying basically how evil and awful amazon were and what was our what were our thoughts on it and I responded first and both our emails seemed like as if we were thought that Amazon might be, like, monitoring our emails, you know, like we had to be careful what we said. I was very much on the fence, like, oh, yes, but then you have to remember that, you know, I mean, what about the fact that we all buy into this and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, yeah, I thought – I was quite surprised about our reaction. We were not avidly anti-Amazon.
0: Yes, so I thought I would um, sort of sum up what my point was. It's quite difficult to to not give, give context. So there were lots of problems – with Amazon, and um, they've done lots of questionable things to the industry, but I think it's what my, what I was sort of trying to say in, in, in my response was that I feel that there is a certain laziness um, in just blaming Amazon for absolutely everything. And that goes for publishers um, and agents and lots of authors who kind of just look at Amazon and just think, oh, it's, it's almost as if people want to stop what's already happened happening. It's, and, and my kind of feeling on this, it comes from two different um, sort of places, really. One is is... Is is that we, we there's no going back. Whatever's whatever's happened has kind of happened. So yes, publishers can talk about uh, quite rightly talk about the fact that Amazon's completely squeezed the pricing on books to the point where it's literally putting people out of business. Um, and and that is true. That is it's like that is just uh, that is pretty much uh, agreed. But that's kind of happened, and it didn't happen last year. It, this has been happening for several years now. Um, and and uh, and so it really, in my opinion, it really is time to kind of look at the new reality, and rather than kind of in somehow try, almost as if trying to stop everything and say and, and get rid of Amazon, it's kind of like I, I want. I've said this before. I want publishers and uh, you know authors and whoever it might be to just be a bit more innovative and and kind of embrace technology now that doesn't mean embrace amazon necessarily um but it means embrace technology and digital and find a way of making it work alongside what is an established print industry that's actually you know doing okay with the recent um figures are showing i think that print is, uh, i think this is right print has equaled or, or still outsold um, digital books this year this may be in the UK or it might be in the US I'm, I'm not sure but it's not it's not like that kind of rise of digital that happened so so quickly and so powerfully it has slowed down like natural market rhythms are have happened and and um, you know we are all circling with this and and it's kind of leveling out and the print book isn't going anywhere yes, again, I repeat, certain things have gone somewhere, namely independent bookshops, for example, have been hugely affected by Amazon. But, and this kind of goes on to what my other point was, we also need to remember that the biggest change in the industry has, in my opinion, hasn't been crazy digital book pricing or crazy book pricing. It's not Amazon itself on its own as a company that's made everything change. It's the Kindle. That's the thing that did it is the fact that all of a sudden people had something to read digital books on that wasn't either massive or useless or 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 kind of or expensive we when the kindle was launched and the reason it gained traction it was because it was something that was thin you could hold it it kind of looked a bit like paper Lots of storage. You just press the button, and all of a sudden the book was there. It was the technology that was what led to this huge change in the industry, and and of course the rise in self-publishing, where it's almost these. You know, it's, I don't know the numbers, but it's you know it's hugely hugely um, uh, a digital thing. You know, people used to self-publish, and they would print out, print off like 500 copies at a local printer or a print-on-demand thing, and then try and sell them in real life people don't need to do that now this is all news i don't need to explain all this but i just um i just feel like you know amazon isn't perfect they don't pay very much tax and there are lots of problems but they are there they're not going they're not going anywhere and publishers and authors and all these other people that are involved in the traditional publishing process need to find ways to make things Better for themselves, instead of trying to fight an enemy, try and use the enemy in some way. And a simple way of doing this, like a really simple example that I used in this email is for 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 all publishers to start employing people um, who are digital natives, as they call them, who are, who, are, who are technologically savvy, who understand how to use social media. And publishers are doing this now, and some publishers are fan- fantastic at this. There are lots of good examples. Um, and, of course, authors are definitely getting much better at this because we kind of have to... Um, and those people need to be in the industry. Like, the people who are who have been in the industry for years and don't catch up on all that are probably the people that are complaining about it. And it's like fighting off... It's like saying we should still be using typewriters. No one does that anymore. At some point, we're not going to have all these arguments. These are still fairly early days. Get on board, do something, make something happen instead of wasting all this time and energy just blaming Amazon for everything. It's, it's, it seems just like such a waste of energy. Um... And, um, and so that was kind of the gist of my, of my defense. It was kind of not trying to say that Amazon are suddenly like my best pals, but, um, but in so actually I say that the other part of my email, if you remember, and I realize you've not spoken for about 20 minutes because I'm talking, but, um, the other thing I said, I just you, nodded off no, <laughs> yeah, as, well as everyone else probably. Um, <laughs> the, other, the other thing that I, I said was, um, a, a, about my own book. So my, my first novel. Um, I know how many copies it's sold, it, it is thousands, it's not It's not thousands and thousands and thousands, but it's thousands, and I know for a factio that the vast majority, vast, vast majority, have been sold through Amazon, because my publisher has found it difficult, or has not been able to get the book into as many bookshops as I, if I'm honest, expected, but also as much as I would have liked uh, Uh, or as much as they would have liked you know it's very it's unlikely that you're going to go into your local shop in the UK and find my book and that's me being honest it's just it's just the truth it's published in the same way that all other books in the UK are published it's you know you can go into your local shop and say I'd like to buy Ian Broom's A's for Angelica and they'll say well we haven't got it but you know it can be here in a couple of days and come and pick it up People don't do that much anymore, instead they go to Amazon and just go, "Well, all right, it'll be here the next day, and I won't have had to go into town to get it and um, and so you know, I just think without Amazon, where the hell would I be like it's difficult enough as it is I'm not a self publisher I'm just like a random middle east author. Where would I be Anna. without them
1: yeah but it's i mean I think that it's it's all our fault, all of this i mean we we want to pay nothing for something. That's that's how everything's gone online. You know, I mean, people don't want to pay for anything anymore. But could Amazon not exist where you still paid a decent price for books online and they weren't undercutting, you know, bookshops and other online outlets so much? Because I, mean, I, I know it's capitalism, but I think that's that for me is the main problem. It's that not. So, I mean, yes, it's easy to sit online and look for books, but of course, it, people are just going to do that because it's so much cheaper. It's like having, if you've got Amazon on your computer at home and right next door, you've got a massive bargain basement bookshop where you can see all the books and they're all really, really cheap and they've got everything you want. You're not necessarily going to sit online and, and use Amazon. And people like the experience of going to bookshops. I think this is just about cheap as much as it's about,
0: ease well it, it, it is no you're right it is but it, i would say it's primarily ease because the the, uh, the the two things are they're kind of they're kind of tied but it's 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 less the ease but it's more about the technology it's, especially in terms of digital is you literally like you know, i i you, you you to be able to press a button and for uh, to buy a book one click use the one click service and then for it to appear on your doorstep at nine o'clock the next morning i mean it's just infinitely easier and mm-hmm. i would you know i, I think most people do uh, would, would pay like more in fact rather than less to, to do that that's like the the ability to do that is a service in itself um that people would be willing to pay for well they are they pay for the amazon prime service and and i do um so th- yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have anywhere to go with this. Fact, shall I go on to the Galley Beggar email?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So about a couple of hours after we had this email conversation where I was sort of defending Amazon, um, my my email from Galley Press uh, arrived. So uh, Galley Beggar is a small publisher in the UK. I've talked about them before. They recently had the huge hit with uh, uh, Ima McBride, Ima McBride
1: forgotten
0: emo emo but bride which we've talked about a lot and you're currently reading or
1: oh no I, f- I devoured it i finished it
0: okay fantastic maybe we'll talk about that in a second um so they had a, hu- a really big hit she will not surprise uh won lots, uh, lots of prizes um Anyway, the guy who runs Gallybagger Press set it up is called Sam Jordison. He used to write for The Guardian in, in in every sort of newsletter, email newsletter update that you get from Gallybagger. Um, he always <laughs> sort of does like a PS where he sort of makes jokes about how evil I say the jokes, yeah, I think he means it about Amazon and Jeff Bezos. 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 Are Bezos. Um, and he, uh, so I got that email and uh, it was kind of very timely just to remind me actually. <laughs> how people really feel about him and if, so i'm going to read uh i assume that they won't mind and probably will never know but uh, i'll read this mm-hmm. little extract from the email from galleberger which was about um amazon so he does a little bit of prehistory and this is all quite tongue in cheek it's a very funny it's a very you know it's a very light tone um uh, the emails anyway um this is what it says i can't quite remember what the previous sentence was so it kind of starts following on from somewhere but i don't know what that is Anyway, it says, "'Round about that time, things got a whole lot worse.' Imagine a youthful, happy face. Imagine a blunt knife inserting itself into the mouth of that face and carving its way out again through the cheeks. That's pretty grim. (laughs) Imagine bruised eye sockets. Imagine fat, greasy fingers grasping the eyeballs within those sockets. Imagine those fingers crushing those eyeballs to jelly and feeding them into a bloody red mouth. Imagine pustules. Imagine buboes. Imagine a giant frying pan coming up behind that face and whacking, whacking, whacking it, and a cold, cackling comfort... A cold cackling coming after every clang. Imagine death, decay, Ebola, hate, Ayn Rand. Isn't it horrible thinking about Amazon? Imagine also... So that was kind of the joke. Imagine... And then he goes on. Imagine also novels being sold for less than the price of a cup of coffee just just to force publishers into bankruptcy. Imagine forcing bookshops across the world out of business, creating a monopoly and then refusing to stop books if people don't present their heads to receive and enjoy the frying pan treatment. And that's pretty much the story of Amazon give or give or take a few expensive lawyers. What a world so yeah Palsers. it made made me laugh, and it came sort of not long after i'd been de- defending Amazon, so you know I don't know which side of the fence you sit on listeners, but um I don't know, Amazon continues to fascinate and transform
1: absolutely and dominate yes quite
0: indeed uh,
1: um, i I don't need to mention the fact anymore about the fact that I finished um Emma mcbride's book just that it's now that it is on lists of some of the most difficult books to finish in the world and my dad said it's what is this absolute nonsense um i was quite pleased to have finished it so quickly put that one to one side and now i can read something else i've had a reading week i've been doing quite a lot of reading actually it's been fantastic um so yeah that's all i have to say on that matter
0: Okay, well then let's move on to what I've called the main topic, but it isn't really a main topic, it's kind of just something... It's a minor
1: topic, we we already renamed that section of the show.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of another thing that we talk about. Yeah. So I went to, I hosted um, an event called Fiction Slam. It's the third year in the row that I've hosted the Fiction Slam, which is part of the Off the Shelf Festival in Sheffield. It's kind of Sheffield's literary festival, where the great and good of literature, they come and do various talks and stuff. And I've hosted fiction slam for the last three uh, years. The format of it is uh, is uh, is great. It's and and an terrifying for the people who do it. But basically, people come and they can they have two rounds. The first round is that they have to they have a minute to pitch their novel. So. They can do it in any way, any way they want. They can sort of just read a synopsis, or they can try and sort of judge it up a bit, and however they want. They pitch their novel in sixty seconds, and then they present. They read the first line, and the audience, once they've heard everyone read, has to choose their six favourites, and the six favourites then go through to the final round. In the final round, um, those six uh, winners or six kind of finalists each read a 5 to a 10 well, this is what we said you can read a 5 to 10 minute extract from your piece of work uh from your novel and um and then what happens we have four judges who are all sort of published authors three published authors and the other one was a uh, uh, the last year's winner and um and uh, and they give them marks and feedback sort of live in front of an audience and um it's a really interesting format and goodness me i <laughs> um it sounds year. daunting. Oh God, it really daunting. Genuinely, very, very daunting. And I was kind of, as the host, I was kind of, you know, I wasn't judging. I find, my, find myself sort of, you know, trying to just trying to lighten the mood because he was, you know, some of the feedback was tough to hear. It's the sort of thing that if you heard it one on one with someone you really trust, you would, I think, you would still kind of sort of shrivel a bit inside and go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. But this is live in front of about, you know, a room full of people um, and four of the judges who are, you know, picking out real flaws in your work. Thankfully, everyone sort of, I hope, took it in, um, you know, in good grace and in the spirit it was intended. And hopefully they've learnt lots about their work. Anyway, back to the five to ten minute thing, because that was the first thing. As I was sat there, I was thinking... Gosh, reading fiction is hard, and I've developed a. I've obviously I've, as a novelist, I've read fiction quite a lot, and it's different from reading poetry, as you know, Donna. Reading poetry is, uh, I think, uh, easier isn't the right phrase, but it's definitely a different experience because you've got poems which are confined, usually short things, and you don't need lots of context, and you don't need uh you know you can kind of hit people you know a poem can be a sentence or it can be you know f- several minutes long but it's usually self-contained yes fiction on the other hand or a novel in this case is uh you you have to try and get across or you have to try and choose a piece from 70,000 words and and that's really difficult so i've got three tips that i wanted to share about uh, reading fiction in public, but before I do that, do you have any because uh, I'm, I'm I need to have a little bit of a drink
1: <laughs> oh really <Do> you? <laughs> so it's over to me now is it all of a sudden? yeah,
0: if you could sort of play that role to sort of drink filler just for <laughs> while
1: well, you slurp in the background i' finished um, now,
0: so anyway
1: uh... <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that re- reading fiction, I have never performed fiction, but it's it's more tricky to keep the audience engaged because. With poetry, you have the audience more on the edge of their seat. They know that something's coming, so they're kind of more alert to the fact that it, the poem will end at some point soon. And also, when you what, when you stand up to read poetry, it's also a good idea to say how many poems you're going to read. I know that sounds mad, but like people don't like to think that they might have to sit there and listen to fifty poems from a person. You know, they like to know. Okay, this person's going to read four poems, and then they can just relax their brain and concentrate on on the actual content so those are just my bits my bits and bobs there about reading poetry but what were your three tips then for reading fiction
0: Uh, you're you're absolutely right and writers come completely and always it seems to me (laughs) misjudge how interested people actually are in what they have what they've written Mm, and it's a lesson that I've learned the hard way myself And I see it time and time again. And um, this is, I don't know if anyone that was reading the other night will be listening to this. If they are, well done. You're incredibly brave. I said so at the time. Everyone was great. Um, This is nothing personal to those people at all. This is something that I've seen over and over again um, in my time. You know, I was the host of a spoken word night where people only had three minutes to read and yet still people, every now and again, would go up and read something that was five, six, seven minutes long. And we were all sat there. We knew that it had got... Th- we, you kind of know roughly when it's three minutes. Yeah. You definitely know when it's five minutes because it just feels long. You think, yeah. mm, th- you think they're chancing their arm a bit here. They know there's a limit. We're quite generous by not having a massive gong. Um, anything over that, you're just annoyed. You're just annoyed at someone for breaking those rules. No one, no one ever... When someone does that, when you say there's a limit on how long you need to read your work for, no one ever, when they go over by 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 much at all, it doesn't need to be much, no one ever goes, oh, well, it's okay, I'm really into it. I can guarantee almost always people who are in the audience are going to go, you're chancing it a bit, aren't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, you're chancing it. And that means that everyone else is going to be delayed now. And, and yeah, I mean, all of these things, you don't want people to be worrying about all that nonsense. You just want them to be completely with you for the time you've got.
0: And as an event organiser, if, if someone goes on for several minutes longer and you kind of you're kind of trying to you're trying to work out whether you should sort of pull them off with a cane or whether you should just let them <laughs> go on. And and mostly I think people just let them let people go on. Thinking with with the thought that they know that it's going to over a bit long, they're gonna wind it up or you know or mentally change how much they were planning to read because they realize that they've gone over and just you know do that do the, not get you into a position whereas an event organizer you have to do that really rubbish thing of like literally stopping someone from reading Nobody uh,
1: wants to see a, a writer being pulled off with a cane <laughs> <laughs> No one nobody does Are you going to tell us your three points or what
0: So um the, my first point is uh, keep it short. You might have guessed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wise words, Ian. Wise words. Yes.
0: Um, and uh, and so, the, but yeah. So, if you've been given, so I, I actually said before everyone read, I said five to ten minutes. That's your that's 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 your window. And I said, if you're sat there now um, and uh, and yours is over ten minutes, cut it down. And I, then I said, even if it's even if it's like. 10 minutes and you think you're going to be right pushing it. Sit there now, cut it down. You know, they sat waiting. They can make it, make some, you know, cross a few things out on the bits of paper. No one did that. Every single reader read for, I think the least was about nine minutes. Oh
1: my goodness, really?
0: uh, Yep. Every other person, there were six of them. Every other person read for, between ten and fifteen minutes. Uh, no, that's not true. That's not true because the person who I was doing the, doing the event with stopped people. She had to stop. I think at least two people. There might have been three, but definitely two people. She had to say, like, you know, they're in the middle of reading from their fiction in a crowded room, and we we you know we had to say, you know, can you can you can you stop there? You know, you've gone over, and um, and and it's the event organizer should shouldn't be in that position. As a writer, you should you need to have more self awareness of how long you 've been talking for, and maybe i, mean, I need could, maybe I need that. to have that <laughs> <As> this <laughs> yeah
1: more than that, you need to be prepared i mean it 's part of the preparation you don 't just write the thing you practice your, you practice it and see how long it takes like yeah, you said you time, time it. it and, and it 's so easy to do it, and you need to do it you need to be ready
0: and and you 're right, and the person actually who um, she, she didn 't win but actually she, she was the person who was within the ten minute boundary um when she did her minute pitch um it came in at 58 seconds or something like that and i said to her i said oh you know someone's been practicing and she went oh yeah i yeah, know i have and she'd obviously done the same thing with the uh with the 10 minutes as well just to make sure it was slightly under but my advice is if someone says to you right you've got f- 5 to 10 minutes to uh, read a piece of fiction don't go over 6 minutes and my tact- my my tactic so uh, w- one of the problems i've had uh, and you know lots of other authors have is obviously if you're doing an event that's kind of all about you so if i've been doing an event at a festival or uh, or like my own events um uh you know where people have believe it or not just come to see me then i've um i haven't like started at the start and then read for half an hour until i've stopped um i've chosen I, I choose little and this will take me on to my next bit actually but lots of little self-contained pieces from throughout the novel um, where there doesn't need a lot of explaining, it's about giving people a flavour. It's about choosing like a um, a section that uh, that will have uh, you know some sort of impact or or or, or kind of resonance that it doesn't need. So this is my second point: choose a choose an extract that doesn't need loads of context or explaining. And if it does need explaining, then at least please do give us that explanation. So don't just start reading and then like in, front, in the middle of a novel and not give us some idea of who the hell these people are or what they're doing. Uh, three was Last impact
1: three was impact yeah just yes. to make
0: sure you choose something that's got impact which is why starting at the start usually if you you know your first chapter or your first i don't know a thousand words should be fairly um um uh, you know should have some impact uh just naturally and uh just because that's where it is in your novel and uh you shouldn't need that much context and so that's a good place to start, usually. But, you know, don't choose something because you think that the writing is better in a certain place. Choose something that's, you know, going to have an effect on an audience. It's just um, kind of simple. I, yeah, I'm really sorry. I've, I've absolutely dominated the talky talk.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's fine. I, I, I think we're actually nearly towards the end of the podcast, aren't we?
0: We've got just enough time for a listener's question.
1: It's incredible. Well, I mean, that's that's all good points. And, um, and let's hope everyone has lots of opportunities to put those into practice, because there is nothing better than being out there performing your work. Also for getting that feedback that we were talking about earlier, the positive feedback and and just, just feeling energized is, is just exactly what you have to do. And also hearing your work, hearing how other people hear your work.
0: That was actually what I was going to going to say when I when I, I I kind of decided you know I wasn't going to be entering this competition. It genuinely was a very daunting prospect for the people that did enter. Fair play to everyone that did. Um, so I kind of before it all started, I offered up as my sort of act of bravery that I was going to read this short piece from my very short piece from uh, from my second novel, and I said to them, you know, this is work in progress. And um, and uh, and I said, I know that usually when authors say that, it's like, uh, but actually I am reading a bit, it's not quite finished, but it'll be out soon. You know, I, this really is very much work in progress. I don't expect it to be it, it may or may not be in the final version. It's very early days. And then as I was reading it out, I was changing stuff. So there was stuff that I've written and I was literally like this happened and not just once, like several times as, as I was reading, I left a word out or I put a word in. Um, as I was going because I just I could hear it as I was reading it that yeah. it was wrong it's such a useful thing to do
1: absolutely absolutely so everyone should get out and do it yeah listeners question.
0: now we've got two listeners questions down one of them I've had in the bank so to speak for the last three or four podcasts and haven't quite come to it I think we're going to pop that one in the bank for next week too
1: because it's a bigger one. So, are we taking Carlos Franco?
0: We're going to take him,
1: Carlos. We're doing your question at CF three one eight. Oh, and I, I like. Oh, oh, I'm going to read this.
0: Uh, I'd, it, uh, yeah, I'd like you to. Do, I'd like you to read it exactly how it's written, please.
1: Oh God! Now, now, I'm going to come across like an absolute idiot when I do this. Carlos Franco's tweeted us and asked us, "How do you all deal with negotiating contracts with publishers?" translation of that is how do y'all deal with negotiating contracts with publishers no
0: you've no (laughs) i i know that i know that well two things i know one i know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are from the u.s so you are going to offend some people secondly i know that you are being incredibly half-hearted and you can do a far better attempt than that
1: i can do but you have put me on the spot now
0: put yourself on the spot
1: (sighs) I'm not going to do it in a bloomin' American accent. You do it first, and then I'll do it.
0: how do y'all deal with negotiating contracts with publishers?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is absolutely outrageous. how do y'all deal with negotiating contracts with publishers?
0: Sassy. I can I can also offend Scottish people, Welsh people, people from <laughs> Birmingham, and people from other countries too.
1: You're a great asset. Um, now, you are going to point out in a minute that most of this is done via an agent. I would just like to, um, say on this point that I didn't have help negotiating my contract with my publisher. And as a result, I didn't negotiate my contract with my publisher. Um, I was pretty weak. You might say about it. And I just went, Oh, thanks. You want to publish my book? Absolutely. Whatever you say, I'll sign it. Um, I don't think I, 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 I mean, I looked at all the points, I checked all the, you know, the percentages I was going to get and all this kind of stuff. But in terms of the actual contract, I didn't make, I didn't force any changes. um, And I didn't didn't go into negotiations about money and stuff. I was just so delighted to have my debut poetry collection published in a very, very difficult market that I just went with it. So the answer to that is, I dealt with it by completely avoiding it.
0: Okay, and so... So you were uh, made an offer by a publisher to publish your first collection of poetry, and you just said yes. Yeah. 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 So I mean,
1: like I say, I, I just checked that it was that that you know I wasn't being completely um, taken for a ride.
0: Yeah. No, no um, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's the the wrong thing to do. To but how how do you feel about that now in hindsight?
1: Totally fine because I I mean I I don't think there was anything particularly in the contract about. Um, how much publicity there was going to be or how much time was going to be spent on the book. That's just what they can manage outside of the contract. That's the area where I think, oh, you know, it would have been really nice if if we'd had a bit more focus on that. So in terms of the actual contract, I don't think there was anything um, that I would have done differently.
0: Well, okay, that's um, I, that's very honest with you. Uh, one of the things I say in my video, which I seem to be plugging quite a lot, hell, why not, um, is that, you know, people don't, uh, have agents and I didn't I should have mentioned poetry because we've talked about it before but you know you don't necessarily need need an agent to negotiate or to get a publishing deal I know Legend Press for example who published my book, um, I know that some of their authors uh, don't have agents, um, I do have an agent and so my agent dealt with uh, the negotiating of the contracts um, and that is typically how it will work in the traditional Way of doing things, um, a, um, a an agent will do the, the negotiating, and they will they will also do the pitching. So they will choose which publishers, you know, with with consultation, um, you know, you will be able to. It's not like they just go off and you, just let you know when it's all finished. Um, but they, you know, they will find the people that they think will be a good fit for you in terms of your writing, and or in terms of your book. And then if they get an offer from a publisher they will be the people people that negotiate they won't well uh, in my experience the negotiation didn't take place until i was asked and spoken to about whether the neg- whether we wanted to negotiate um uh, but we did and and as a result i got a better deal than i was initially offered so um yeah, I, I, the agent if you have an agent we, I think most people who are produ- published in the traditional way will have it's their job to do that that's kind of why you have an agent to be honest it's kind of one of those I would say apart from finding the publisher and getting you into that position where you're negotiating contracts the, the second thing that they do is to negotiate the contract so um, that's something that they would deal with and your role as an author really is to be in as much discussion with an agent as possible. And ultimately, you're the one that decides whether you want to go with it or not. An agent can't make you go with a publisher. Um, so you just have to, you know, your role is to say whether you want to continue, them to continue negotiating for you, um, how much potentially you would be happy with as an advance, or um, whether you want to challenge some of the rights issues but then the agent will sort of take over and, and do all of that. You know, they're kind of like a conduit for the entire process.
1: And, and let's be honest, you know, as you if you're lucky enough to have more books published, then you're going to get much, much better at this and have more clout. I mean, you are at the start. I'm sure I'm not alone in being, you know, less likely to push certain points because, you know, it's my first book and, and it's it's all very good. But, you know, as you go along, you can be a lot more demanding
0: well it's the, the, the reality of having a first book being be in a position where you're having your first book published is that you are fulfilling um a, a dream and the idea of negotiating is you know you get to and I got to this point too where I just went oh, I I just want to fulfill the dream <laughs> and so I did and and uh, you know I I don't I don't regret that I think it was you know still the right thing to do the other one point I want to say is that no negotiation is the same, so once that negotiation takes place, you know they they are entirely different beasts, depending on what kind of offers you get. so if you just have one offer, which you know again, if I'm popping the odd on it's hmm, quite difficult to say that if I'm putting the truth hat on um then you know i i had one offer so it wasn't like i could go uh, well i've had this offer from somewhere else so no which is you know the whole the the whole kind of auction thing that's when that happens if you have 10 publishers interested obviously you're in a much stronger position and you can sort of play them off against each other and get get your your contract to be much better and much better um so you know it it really the negotiation really depends on um, uh, on on each individual situation, but again, that's where the agent comes in because they have seen it all before and they know how to play that game, for want of a better word. And you know, especially if you're a first time author, you're not really in a position to have that experience and to kind of know what is a good offer and what isn't. I mean, you 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 should have some idea, but and you should have some idea of what you want, but having that sort of specific knowledge, not so easy. Anyway, that's the listener's question.
1: Hooray! And um, and maybe you know maybe we could actually do two lists of questions next week because we will have more questions next week and we also are gathering questions up. So I think it'd be nice we can do them first even.
0: And if Got anyone that to look forward to. Yeah, we should. We did. We start doing that for a while, didn't we? We did. Um, if you want to ask a, a, as a question about writing or reading or publishing or even copywriting, for example then uh, please do. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, or...
1: And I'm at the Flying Poet, as in flying in the sky, Ooh, and as in poet, and the, as in like the...
0: And you can also email Ian, I-A-I-N, at writeforyourlife.net, and that will appear in my inbox.
1: Ding! You've got mail. Lovely. Well, thank you for another great week. Um, I will see you next week. Well, i yes... Metaphorically speaking.
0: We'll talk to each other. Let's do that. Farewell. Bye.